This is Calvary Baltimore's Harford County Bible Study with our senior pastor, Josh Plantholt. Here's Pastor Josh. Matthew 5, <clears throat> down to our Father's business, huh? Verse 1. We're going to get a running start here. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. Of course, the whole story has been building, paralleling the, the story of the Jews in the Old Testament. We had Father Abraham, Joseph the Dreamer. Jesus gets baptized, goes through the waters into the wilderness, a picture of the Red Sea crossing. He gets tempted three times by Satan, which is reminiscent. It parallels the three temptations of the Israelites in the wilderness. Jesus is the faithful son the Israelites should have been, but they failed. So Jesus is retelling the story of the Israelites in himself, and he's becoming the faithful son. Again, this, this whole act of... Imputed righteousness is starting the build in, in, in who Jesus is. <clears throat> and then finally, he assembles a people and he brings them to a mountain, just like the, 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 the picture of Sinai in the wilderness. So now Moses, or the new Moses, Jesus is up the mountain. And just like Moses got the Ten Commandments, the law from God to give to the people, Jesus now is up the mountain and he is going to give them uh, the, the new law here. <clears throat> And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, now notice there's a special note that the disciples were there, that there's the new priesthood. We're seeing the new priesthood being introduced. Verse 3, <clears throat> blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, again, okay, so maybe I'll, I'll summarize some of these. Poor in spirit means spiritually bankrupt. God, apart from you, I have nothing to contribute <laughs> to my spirituality. So it's coming to God absolutely empty. I love what Donnie always says, uh, that there'll be an empty vessel. God just needs to be an empty. Coming to God is an empty vessel. <clears throat> uh, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Uh, th this, is, uh, this is drawn, I believe, from Isaiah 61 off the top of my head. Uh, and the mourning there is a national mourning. It's one that mourns not only for their own sins, but for corporate sins. When we, when we see people rioting and, and fighting police and mistreating their spouse, and that there's a Isaiah 61, that's part of this mourning here. It's a grieving over the sins around us. Um, <clears throat> Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That was so funny at your house when we ran through that one. Um, new territory. Blessed are the peacemakers, <clears throat> for they shall be called sons of God. This is one of these scriptures that I think of all the time. Because there's always an occasion to peacemake. <laughs> it's all the time. And normally it's by not letting our mouths get the best of us. So we got to try to peacemake with ourselves. But anyways, the truth is, if you are the first six Beatitudes, you will be the seventh. If you are one through six, you will be a peacemaker. That, that's fascinating there. And this Beatitude is probably the easiest one to understand. Uh, but like everything Jesus says, you may understand it, but there's layers and layers and layers beyond uh, the depths here. So what does it mean 
to be a peacemaker. And who are we making peace with? And it seems the answer to this question is yes. <laughs> it's all of the above. Uh, those who are in the kingdom of God are blessed uh, when they strive to make peace wherever they go. So I was thinking about this. How can I give an example here? So I'm a pastor, surprise, surprise. And part of my job as a pastor is preaching. And part of my job, according to the New Testament, is praying. And part of my job is counseling and tending and peacemaking. So 2023 has just started, and already I've had emergency couples counseling. So I've worked at making peace between a husband and a wife. I have counseled someone who's been really depressed, a different person. So I've been helping them find peace within themselves, of course, under God. Uh, I have counseled a family that has a difficult child right now. So I'm attempting to strengthen this family unit around this unpeaceable person so that the least the family can have peace with, within this unstable situation. On Sunday, every Sunday, I preach helping sinners to find peace with God has been provided in Jesus Christ. And of course, all that he sacrificed for our sins. Uh, I was at the grocery store the other day and I was trying to be kind to strangers. I was trying to give them peace, at least in that moment. when I, I always see people stocking shelves and I always thank them. And they always look at me like, you're welcome. <laughs> but it's to give them peace in that even for a microsecond, it's to give them peace. And then earlier uh, earlier uh, yesterday, my kids were arguing over a video game and I had to make sure they didn't stab each other over the video game. So I was making peace between my children, peace between brothers. You see, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. It's an easy verse to understand, but when you put it in the pra practice, it permeates every aspect of our lives. It has a million different ways in which this, this works out. Uh, and when you look at the life of Jesus, when, uh, when you look at the life uh, in the Acts of the Apostles, uh, when you look at the letters in the New Testament, this peacemaking is played out in a hundred different ways. Uh, for example, in the book of Acts, the apostles are trying to help people find peace with God. I love, of course, uh, Peter's sermon at Pentecost. Uh, the good doctor, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, says that sermon was both logic and fire. I, I love that. Uh, and he's really he's getting giving people peace with God. Uh, in the book of Philemon, Paul is trying to help Philemon find peace with a runaway slave, Anisibus. So he's creating peace within the family unit. In the Old Testament, have you ever heard the term shalom before? Shalom means peace, which can apply to a person. It can apply to relationships. It could be peace upon a house. Uh, I, I, I I hate telling stories about myself. I, I genuinely do. But I, I remember I was I had a I had a young man in the church, and they were having some problems in their house, and they had cats and dogs. And I don't know if you know the old saying: they fight like cats and dogs. Well, the cats and dogs fought all day long, but they were animal people, so there was no getting through that maybe this isn't healthy. Well, anyways, I walked into the house. It was like the movie Ace Ventura. All the animals stopped and came to, like, be with me. And the, 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 the young person I was seeing was like... And slowly, different members of the house, you could see their heads poke around the doorways going... What's happening? <laughs> but there was a shalom that fell on the house. You know, 
that, that, now I also go into houses where dogs want to maul me to bits. So it's not, you know, but but it happens. She'll, you can, you know, when you walk into someone's house and there's snowflakes and you feel warm, you know, it's there's a shalom that comes over you, uh, and that's peace. There's peace there. So um, three things I want to gather from this first. And this was a lesson that took me a long time to learn, probably because I'm slow, but <laughs> you cannot offer peace if there's no peace to be had. That took me a long time to figure out. But as believers, those within the kingdom of God, we always have peace that we can offer. You know, you'll, you'll try to reconcile two people together and often... You know, you'd think, well, if both people explain their side and both people apologize a little bit, it'll work out. But often you have someone who just is not interested in making peace. And you can't make it happen, no matter how hard you try. But of course, under the gospel, we always have peace we can offer people. And as we look at this sermon from a kingdom perspective, Jesus came to bring peace between God, the Father, and humanity, which of course he was going to purchase with his own blood. And now believers, us who are sons and daughters of that father ourselves, we, like Jesus, are also peacemakers. What, what, when we put on the armor of God, does anyone remember what the boots are called? The boots of peace. Yeah, it's the, the gospel boots of peace, and we bring it to the nations. So believers in a million different contexts, we may not be able to bring earthly peace in every situation, but we can bring the gospel. You know, and sometimes you see people and they just think, if only those if other people understood, <laughs> there would be peace. Some people don't want peace. You know, I, 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 was, I, I was thinking about, I was watching the news earlier and I saw the war in Ukraine and the 100,000 people dead and whatever the numbers are, I don't know, they're all horrific. And I thought, you know, if you dropped an army of Christians on the front lines with their Bibles and said, we're going to make peace, it's not going to happen that way. It's not going to happen that way. Sometimes you can't bring peace to certain situations. I mean, God can, but we can. But again, in any context, we can always bring the gospel. You know, and that, that, that's a way that we definitely can apply this. Now, secondly... When we think about peacemaking, sometimes we can think about breaking up arguments. You ever think about peacemaking that way? I'm going to stop these two people from strangling each other. But the most typical form of peacemaking uh, that all of us have to enter into is making peace between ourselves and those who have wronged us. So the first way to peacemake is to make sure you shut your mouth <laughs> when someone's being crazy to you. Uh, you know, I, I, I thought maybe the, the best example of this is what did Jesus say when he was on the cross? Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. <clears throat> he was peacemaking with his last breaths. You know, to be a peacemaker, this doesn't mean, again, Christians can have this idea, okay, I'm saved, I'm to be a peacemaker, I'm a son or a child of God. And then they become a doormat. <laughs> God doesn't ask us to do that. He doesn't ask us to become Christian pinatas that people can hit on us. You know, we, we see this a lot with moms. Moms will take abuse for days, weeks, months, years, decades from a crazy kid. And it's like they, they think they're maybe peacemaking. It's like God doesn't ask you to do that. 
he hasn't asked you to be this mistreated for this long. And and so, you know, one of the things that we can do is we can pray for people and we can we can we can extend peace, but a large part of this peacemaking is just controlling how we respond. We can't control how anyone responds. We can only control ourselves. And so we need to we need to work on ourselves with this peacemaking first. And then the third thought here is peacemaking is communal. Jesus said, they will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. There is an aspect that those within the kingdom of God work to make peace wherever they go. <sighs> That doesn't mean you don't ever stand up to evil, though. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean you don't ever put your foot down when someone's being ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I want you to think about this. Jesus was a mason or a carpenter. He worked with his hands. We only have one thing in the whole Bible that we know that he made. It's a whip. Think about that. The only thing we know that Jesus made was a whip. And he used it to lash it at people and money changers. Now, Jesus is the apex, the perfect example of what it means to be a peacemaker. And yet at times he's flipping tables and saying some pretty hard stuff. So it's being a peacemaker does not mean you let someone be crazy all the time uh, or you pretend that the emperor doesn't have clothes or become a Christian pinata. But, but it does mean that if peace can be had, you work towards it. But some people are just unreconcilable. That's a horrible, horrible thing to come to. But it's true. And and God may get them, but you may not be that person to get them. And, and you have to stop playing God and say, God, they're in your hands. I, I love not the last time John Van Leeuwen filled in, but the time before that. He, he said something that I thought was very, very good, especially for me as a young father to hear. And he said, you know, at some point I gave my children to God. I, I stopped trying to be the one to make this work or fit, that I was the means of their salvation. He goes, I just had to give them to the Lord. And it's true. We, we, we can fall into this thing where we're going to be the peacemakers and make this happen. And we can't because everyone's autonomous in some way. Uh, and God's the one that has to do that. Let's keep going here. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> so this is the last beatitude of the body. If you remember, when we ran through this list originally, there are nine beatitudes, and the first eight are the are the body of the beatitudes, and the ninth one's the conclusion. Do you remember us me going through this? And we know this, yay! Because the first one and the eighth one have the same promise. It's for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so what that means, if the first one and the eighth one are framed within the kingdom of heaven, that means everything in the middle is sandwiched within that context. So all the first eight Beatitudes all are really kingdom tunes. They're about the kingdom of God. Now, isn't it interesting because... You would imagine after the first seven Beatitudes, just imagine we snapped our fingers and you could perfectly fulfill the first seven Beatitudes. You were the perfect peacemaker. You were perfectly hungered and thirsted after righteousness. You were perfect in your in your prayer life, in your in your poor in spiritness, hood, whatever that is. <laughs> you would think if someone was really that wonderful. 
to care for others, to be honest, to desire righteousness. You would imagine after someone was willing to do all these things, they would get along with everyone, right? <laughs> but Jesus reveals that those who live a truly godly kingdom life are going to be persecuted for doing the right things. Doing these first seven things aren't going to make you likable. They're going to make you hate it, is what Jesus is revealing, which is a complete inversion of how we would probably think it to be. Jesus revealed because we are surrounded by evil people who live and operate in a different kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, that the kingdom of darkness, surprise, surprise, is always going to hate the kingdom of light. It's all, If all of these things are how the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light operates... Satan and his kingdom is going to hate every single person who is any bit of this list. They are a target, which is why Jesus closes the, the body of this list off with, again, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, I was thinking about Jesus here. Uh, of course, you ever heard someone say, well, you don't practice what you preach. Mm -hmm. Well, Jesus practiced what he preached <laughs> perfectly. His life completely exemplified this list. Jesus lived out every single one of, the, uh, of his teachings to perfection. And Jesus, after living a life of the first seven Beatitudes, he was number eight. Mm -hmm. He was murdered for it. Uh, and here's what we need to take away from this. And let me pause here. There's speculation that this list is in chronological order. That, that not only is it in a chiastic structure, that the first and the eighth frame, the, the, that it's all within the kingdom, but when we enter the kingdom, we start with one and then move all the way down. So I, I'm not saying it's the case, but it very well could be that the more we mature in the kingdom, the closer we get to martyrdom. The closer we get to real persecution, which I think there's very strong evidence for that in, in the Bible. Uh, but here's what we need to take away from this. Evil people will always hate godly people. <laughs> this is how, and isn't it so interesting? This is right after peacemaking. Be a peacemaker. You'll never have peace. <laughs> Be a peacemaker. Evil will never let you have peace. It's almost paradoxical. Uh, but but again, it's not about controlling how other people respond. It's about controlling you. It's how you respond. It's how you let the Spirit of God move you. You know, so <clears throat> evil people will always hate godly people. The kingdom of darkness will always be at war with the kingdom of God until, of course, Jesus comes and eradicates all evil from the planet. And so one of the things we have to do as believers in the kingdom of God, and I believe Jesus is instructing us very clearly here, is we cannot be afraid to let our reputations come to nothing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I really believe that that's at the heart of, of what's happening here. Blessed are the righteous mm -hmm. who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I, I, I can't help, especially as we, we look at the, ne the next section here, we cannot we cannot be afraid of what other people think about us, which is a very hard, that's a supernatural place to get, isn't it? Because we all care. <laughs> Even people, the people who say they don't care really care. But, you know, we, we all care to some degree. But if but if we're building all of this off of what other people think about us and. And I, I, I think especially like if you've been in Christian culture, I think of you guys at the Bible college, 
Like you can search for approval within cool Christianity, within cool, you know, and you can live for approval that way. You can live for approval anyway. But if if we if we're righteous for the approval of others, even those within the church, it's gonna fall. It's going to fail. <laughs> But if we do these godly things and we pursue righteousness and we pursue it to the glory of God out of gratitude for God saving our souls, then when the persecution and slander comes, we will endure it because we're doing the right things for the right reasons, not for the favor of men. Again, this is foundational stuff here. Now, I want you to notice that the first beatitude, poor in spirit, and this beatitude, the persecuted, are the only two beatitudes that end with the same promise. Again, this is a literary structure. Uh, in the Hebrew, they're called chiasms. In the Greek, they're called inclusos. Some people call them inverted inverted parallel ring structures, which I'm not going to quiz you on that, but I call them chiasms. Um, and again, this frames this whole thing within the framework of the kingdom of God. And we you don't hear a lot about the kingdom of God, do you? When you listen to other pastors and preachers, you just don't. But it permeates through Matthew. And and it's the sense, you know, we, we can really fall into the trap of an isolated Christianity. It's me and my walk. Um, you know, and, and even Psalm 23, um, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down. So there's nothing wrong with the emphasis of the individual, but we have to understand that there's always the corporate that's attached to that. And I, I think that's one of the necessary things about preaching the kingdom of God. It puts us within the communal aspect that is the church. You know, I'm not enduring to the end. We are. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a body of believers. I even think about the, what the author of Hebrews says. You know, do not forsake your assembly together. This is the habit of some. I mean, there is no framework within the entire Bible of doing Christianity by yourself. It does not exist. Someone who is saved and doesn't go to church. I'm not saying that can't happen, but there's certainly no framework in the scriptures for it. And in First John, John says because they left the church, they must not be Christian. I mean, there's well, we are at church, God's people. So again, I think framing this in the kingdom of heaven, it's such a personal list, isn't it? The Beatitudes. But it's communal. It's corporate. It's something we need to do together and encourage one another up to do frequently, which is why I think we need to be real enough and honest enough and transparent enough to when we see one of us falling to say something. You know, when we're seeing someone and there's division and strife all the time, to have someone speak in their life and go, you know, why are you peacemaking? What's going on here? And to love them enough to care for their soul and not be subservient to their opinion of you, which again, there's the wrong reasons. Um, so so th this whole thing has been the kingdom, dudes. And now we're going to come to the ninth and the final beatitude here, and it's a summary. It's a conclusion. It kind of frames up the, the whole list here. <clears throat> and, and Jesus, as is his way, he has this really special way of tweaking it a little bit, which he's just, you know, such a good teacher and, you know, the best. But it's amazing. Uh, verse, verse 11 here. Blessed are you. <clears throat> All this list, have you noticed, has been blessed are those? Mm -hmm. Now he's, he, he switches it and he points directly at the people. 
And if you notice, who was the emphasis on when they went up the mountain? The whole multitude's there. And we see when he comes down the mountain, I believe that's at the end of chapter seven or eight, possibly the beginning of nine. I'm fuzzy right now, but um, the, the emphasis is on the disciples. So yes, he's pointing to the multitudes, but he's also pointing at the disciples. And we wanna keep that in mind here. So he moves from those to you. So he's speaking directly to these people. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Jesus is echoing what he just said. Essentially, the righteous are going to face persecution because of their righteousness. The godly are going to be mistreated. You are going to be mistreated when you're godly. <laughs> so he's telling them, listen, this isn't some abstract teaching. This isn't theoretical uh, numerology. He, he's saying, listen, I'm talking about people being mistreated and I'm talking to you. You're going to be mistreated. And 11, all of the, all of the apostles were brutally murdered but one. So he's speaking to them, and the only reason the one didn't die is, according to the church tradition, it was John, and they put him in a vat of boiling oil, and he didn't take. And so they took him out and go, throw him in prison, and so they put him in prison. Uh, and, and later he got out, but you know, he, these people are going to go through it. Um, but the difference is the persecution, again, isn't coming to some unknown people group. This persecution is coming to them, and they needed to prepare themselves, and one of the things we have to do, because do you ever read the Bible and, and sometimes God says things that are so hard to receive? And I don't know about you, but sometimes they go, oh my gosh, am I doing enough? Am I sacrificing enough? Should I be on a riverboat in the Amazon, like pulling an arrow out of my leg? You know, what, what? God, you know, but... We have to remember the context that Jesus is talking about here. Jesus doesn't want his people to suffer. But Jesus is talking to, to the Jewish people. These are all Jewish believers. And the Jewish people were going to go through a really hard, intense persecution. Uh, and they were going to be persecuted by the Jewish people and eventually the Romans in 70. But so, so there was this really intensification that that the Jewish people who are coming out of <coughs> Pharisaicalism and in into the sweetness of grace that is in Jesus Christ, they were going to be loathed by the Jewish people, loathed by them. And so he's preparing them that a really tough time's coming. This doesn't mean that all of us need to be thrown into a furnace to be considered the apex of, or, or to be considered in the kingdom of heaven, because people can teach it that way. But what we see is that these people were going to face these really horrible situations. Now, one of the reasons that I, I point this out, because when we come to the New Testament, we start to see lots of wealthy believers in the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. We see people that have huge house churches. Well, how do you have a huge house church unless you have a huge house? <laughs> and how are you feeding people unless you have excess? You know, so we see immediately God doesn't desire his people to struggle this way. If it, if it comes to that, yeah, we have to. But but then we see that God, when, when, when it starts to come to the Gentiles, this level of persecution, it eases up in the Bible. 
And so I, to me, that's very comforting, you know, to go, oh boy. <laughs> I need malaria or I'm not saved, I guess. You know, we, we can we can go down that road. But Jesus is talking to people who are going to go through a very specific, terrible time. And now... Jesus, however, he doesn't say that they will face persecution because of their righteousness. I want you to know that. Why does he say they're facing persecution in the summary? Because of my namesake. Mm -hmm. Jesus boils all of this instruction, all of this law, all of this new Moses Sinai stuff, and he frames it all within Christ's likeness. All of this is just a breakdown of his character, is mm -hmm. what he really just did. Yes, I am poor in spirit. Yes, I am a peacemaker. Yes, I hunger and thirst for righteousness. And as you act like me, you will be persecuted for my namesake. He frames this entire thing in himself. But now let's think about the chiastic structure here. Jesus, it is the kingdom of heaven, but it's also the kingdom of God. It's his kingdom. This is his body. This is his movement. This is his work amongst his people. And so if we're going to be in the body of Christ and act like the body of Christ, we have to be prepared that we're going to be persecuted as he was persecuted. If they marred his body and wounded his body and punched his body, they're going to punch his body here as it is in the church. We, we can't be surprised there. But again, Jesus now frames all of the Beatitudes, all of the kingdomtudes as Christ-likeness. It's my namesake. It's un, all under his character. <clears throat> Boy, I just started preaching and I don't even know where I am on my notes anymore. Uh, <laughs> I know what verse. I don't know which note. Can, maybe you know that one too. <clears throat> Um, well, I like what I just said better than my notes here. Let's keep going. Verse 12, Barbara to your prophet. <clears throat> Rejoice and be glad. I love that. Rejoice and be glad. I think we could do that, huh? We could use a little bit more. Of that. You know, can't we? Gotta preach some more. Why not, huh? We can look at at the Bible is such a law sometimes, can't we? Come under it like a harsh master. Boy, we could flog ourselves with worry. And, you know, even Jesus said, come to me for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. But you ever notice there's still a yoke there? There's still a weight in Jesus. I mean, there's still something we have to put on. And sometimes we can make it heavier than it has to be. You know, yes, it's light, but we can pretend it's heavy. And one of the things that we see here is like, yes, living out these eight, nine Beatitudes, however you want to break them down. We can get so serious about doing it. But then Jesus concludes it with just rejoice and be glad. We... I love that. I, I loved I loved in, in Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit comes, the 120 people are in, in the in the upper room and they're worshiping God. And immediately everyone thinks, oh, there's Jesus's people again. They're drunk. <laughs> because they were so used to Jesus being attached to rejoicing and gladness. His table was always filled with, you know, prostitutes and tax. I cannot 
I'm sure every party Jesus went to was a party. <laughs> it was not a somber King James onlyism Bible thump sort of trivia night. You know, it is rejoicing and gladness. And Jesus, after all of this, now this is how we need to live and this is how we need to act. We don't come under this as under the law. We come under this as his children in his name. And we are to rejoice in that fact and be glad. Uh, and I think a lot of people miss that part like I have when I prepared this, but here we are. Uh, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, I, I talked a little bit about this Sunday, right? Like we can read the Old Testament as if they're the others. But Jesus is showing us we're entering into everything Elijah was doing. We're entering into the ark with Noah. <laughs> we're, we're with Abraham staring at the stars with the, the, the promise of his children, as numerous as the sand of the seashore. And we're entering into what God's faithful people have been doing from the beginning. We're glorifying Christ with our lives, God with our lives, whatever, however that shakes out. Um, and Jesus reveals what it means to be blessed. Remember, it's blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are the merciful, for they should be shown mercy. Blessed, 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 blessed. And that word blessed comes from Psalm 1 1. Mm -hmm. Blessed is the righteous man. He is like a tree planted by streams of waters, right? What, what it means to be blessed is to be as a tree, a fruit tree, planted by God, gathering nourishment from his word. And God is showing us here what it means to be blessed. And it means to rejoice and be glad here on earth. You know, I, this has radically changed my prayer life because, uh, you know, I go through the Lord's Prayer every day and I, I jump off from it every night. And one of the things that God met with me at, it's like, I'm under blessing now. We could think about the kingdom as, well, one day I'm going to die and be in heaven. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, rejoice and be glad on earth. And then you're going to be rewarded in heaven. But, but there's an emotional uplift here. That, that when, when we read about what God says about those who are in his kingdom, it is never like a wounded puppy. <laughs> it's never like someone who's on fire. It's people rejoicing. It's people that are glad. It's people who know that what we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You know, they, that there's gladness involved here. And so we, we don't want to look at all of these blessings as only future. We find joy now in the promise, which is one of the reasons why we take the Lord's Supper. You know, it's part of a celebration with one another. We're going to heaven. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, how awesome is that? And we're to rejoice over that. Um, and, and part of the blessing that Jesus provides for his church is joy and gladness now. We should have joy and gladness now as we hope and anticipate all, and all of the rewards that he has in store for those within his kingdom. So what do we do with all nine of these Beatitudes? And simply, we act like Christ as much as we can. That's how Jesus frames it. Yeah, we look at this list. We should, and when you read this list in Greek, it, it partially rhymes and has a rhythm to it. Uh, it seems very clearly in Greek and, and possibly Aramaic that that it it's something that Jesus gave the sermon in a way that should be memorized. Now, in the ESV, that's a little difficult to do because it doesn't rhyme and it's not rhythmic. 
And I think that's important, and I do think we should try to memorize large portions of the scripture, but I, I think at the heart of what's being said here is all we have four gospels. And as we read it and apply it, that's the blessed life. That's what it means to act like you're in the kingdom <laughs> by living out the things that Jesus showed us more than outside of these 11 verses. <laughs> it's the things that he's done over his entire uh, life. And those who act like Christ should rejoice and be glad because we're going to be rewarded. And so I think what's so cool to me is it all concludes and there shows us two layers of blessing. We get some now and we get some later. And I believe if our emphasis is too far one way or the other, it all gets blown out of whack. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, remember, I remember when the Lord really met with me. I got really serious about being a Christian. Um, but I started to choke out my joy and gladness. And, and I had to remember, it's like, listen, Jesus just didn't just die for me so that I'd be happy one day. He died that I know him now, too. Mm. You know, and I had to find joy in him now, you know. So it was, and, and that was a real a real aha moment for me. It's not that I, I knew it, but I didn't know it, you know, and, and it had to grow in me. And now I find myself present where I, more and more where I am, just enjoying the Lord. I'm in the car and I'm enjoying the Lord. <laughs> I'm eating, uh, you know, I ended up eating dinner with a homeless man tonight. Enjoying the Lord. It just God meets with you in these places and you just enjoy his presence. But if we also make it only about now, we miss that we're working towards something bigger. And we don't want to do that either. So there's this tension. We need to live, live as Christ exemplified and shown us and we're going to be mistreated for it, but that's okay <laughs> because we're blessed and we're blessed now and we're blessed later. That's it. All right. <laughs> Why don't we pray? And if anyone wants to throw something on, throw it on. God, we. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Let's pray. God, we love you. We, we praise you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for all that you've given us. We, we thank you for your four gospels. Like, Four walls of a house, God. You have framed your your story so perfectly. And so we we thank you for, for your servants. We thank you for your prophets. And we thank you that great is our reward in heaven. <laughs> so help us to not only anticipate with joy the things that are to come, but help us to be rejoice and be glad now at the things that are. That we are your sons and daughters. We love you and we thank you, Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to Calvary Baltimore's Harford County Bible Study. If you'd like to get in touch or come visit us at Calvary Baltimore, head to calvarychapelbaltimore.org for service times and directions. If you have a prayer request or you just want to say hi, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. If you've been blessed by today's teaching and would like to donate to the work that God is doing through Calvary Baltimore, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. Pastor Josh and all of us at Calvary Baltimore consider it a blessing to serve you. We hope you'll join us again for the next edition of the Calvary Baltimore Harford County Bible Study.